Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. One of the fun pieces of this summer series, Soul Stirring Stories, is the freedom given to the person speaking, which today happens to be me. Instead of being given a passage or a topic, the speaker is invited to simply share a story from the Bible that stirs their soul, that arouses something at a deeper level inside of them, and then let the Holy Spirit and the Living Word do the rest. And what stirs in me may be very different from what stirs in you, which is quite wonderful when you think about it. And in fact, the very reason I chose this story is because one day last spring, I was stirred by this story in a new and different way than I expected. And I knew that I had to pay attention. I have read and heard this story from Acts 3 many times. And usually, I've focused on the lame man and his healing. It's a miracle, after all. The first recorded physical healing miracle after Jesus has returned to his Father in heaven and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps if you're at a place in life where you're feeling set aside or physically or emotionally in need of healing, or you're just aware of your own frailty or the frailty of those you love, then that's where your focus will go. And it's a great place to go, filled with hope for the hurting. But what really jumped out to me when I was reading this passage this spring, what caught me off guard and grabbed my attention was not so much the lame man and his healing, but the characters of Peter and John and a couple of phrases that seemed to jump off the page. I remember specifically the day it happened. It was a Tuesday. I was not studying this section of scripture or seeking a word for God or even really spending time with God. It was nothing that spiritual or intentional. I was just doing my job which includes sending emails to those working in the children's classrooms regarding what's happening on the upcoming Sunday. And this was one of the stories, the preschool lesson, I believe. But what was, there was no doubt that God had something new for me in the story. And I hope he does for you as well. Now, today's message is going to be a little different. Instead of me doing all the talking... I've invited a couple people to share with you during the message because the things I want to highlight are not really ponder points. I think they're worth pondering, but they're really action items. They are faith-lived-out scenarios. And it seems to me that introducing you to a couple of people from our congregation who, like Peter and John, live out their faith could be way more beneficial than listening to me talk about it. But before we do that, let's do a little bit of background. This story is near the beginning of the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. Acts is a continuation of the Gospel of Luke, and Acts begins with a bang. Jesus has risen from the dead and is returning to his Father in heaven with his instructions to his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 2, it happens. Amazingly, miraculously, the Holy Spirit indwells a struggling group of misfits 
And they have the power to proclaim the good news in such soul-stirring ways that 3,000, believe, are baptized. And the church is not only born, but unstoppable. And this is where we pick up in today's passage. Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, corresponding with the time of evening offering in the temple. And as they are about to walk through this gate, which Luke refers to the gate called Beautiful, they encounter a lame beggar. Now, there's no real consensus on exactly which temple gate this was. There's some speculation that a certain bronze gate known for its beauty might be the one referred to here. But as far as we know, it was not a general name used for any of the temple gates. And I kind of like that. Because what's going to happen is reason enough, in my mind, for the gate to be called beautiful. Regardless of where it was or what it looked like, this place and all involved became beautiful. So let's jump in with verses 2 and 3. Now a man was lame from, who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now, I want you to take note here of a specific phrase regarding our beggar friend. It's, was being carried. This phrase in the Greek is what's referred to as an imperfect tense, describing a repeated action, over and over. So, presumably, day after day after day. In other words, this man is a familiar fixture in the temple court. If you went to pray, to give an offering, at three in the afternoon, you walked by this guy and he asked you for money every time. Remember, too, that Peter and John are in the midst of learning to do ministry on a scale they never imagined. They have gone from running for their lives when Jesus is arrested to being the primary custodians of this new movement, the church that in one day grew from those that could fit into an upper room to literally thousands. And that's where the almost absurdity of this next phrase in verse 4 hit me like a brick. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. There's a being attentive piece to this story that blows me away. Think of the demands Peter and John had on their time. Think of the multiple concerns and questions that must have filled their minds at this pivotal time in history and add to that how this guy is always there asking for a handout every single day. Yet, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention. Not only did Peter and John notice, pay attention to this man, who most would have walked by without a second thought, but they individualized him. They particularized him, letting him know he was seen. And in so doing, they gave him dignity and worth that my guess is few others ever had. In my mind, this is where the miracle begins. Which brings me to our first faith in action person, Chris Bertelli. 
Now, earlier this summer, a few of us who will be helping facilitate the journey groups this fall had an opportunity to go to Colorado for a training. And while there, Chris shared a story. I asked him to come and share it with you because I think it's a looked-straight-at-him moment. Unfortunately, Chris ended up with a family commitment, which keeps him from being here today, but all is not lost. Through the wonder of technology, you can still hear Chris in his own words. So show that video now. A couple of months ago, I was riding a light rail train from Folsom down to Sacramento. It was, it was wintertime. It was raining. It was kind of cold out. It was getting near... Uh, near dark or near dusk, and uh, I was on a train car with only one other person. There was a man who appeared to be homeless. He was in the row uh, ahead of me, um, in the aisle across from me, but in a seat facing me. So we were essentially facing each other uh, for about five minutes in silence until, you know, he made kind of an innocuous comment about the, the weather uh, being fit for dogs and how maybe he would get a dog. Uh, for some reason, I responded, and I asked him what kind of dog he would get. And I don't remember the answer he gave me to that question. Uh, but that question ended up prompting about a 45-minute-long conversation where uh, this man, his name is Danny. Uh, Danny told me a lot about his life. Uh, Danny told me about um, how he grew up on the East Coast, um, loved his parents tremendously, he had a, an accident when he was eight years old and hurt his back really badly and, and then addicted to came, essentially addicted to painkillers ever since. Um, and that when his parents died, he really struggled with, with taking care of himself, um, partly because of his addiction. Uh, he ended up getting a job as a trucker but lost that when he crashed his truck and after he fell asleep at the wheel. Uh, he was missing some of the tips of his fingers on his left hand um, because he said... He owed debts to casino owners, and this was their way of, of punishing him for owing those debts. He told stories of how uh, those casino owners had continued to pursue him and torture him. Um, he had talked about one time of committing suicide or trying to commit suicide uh, out in an empty field where he had opened his opened one wrist and passed out, but how he didn't. He woke up the next day in a hospital bed. Uh, where they told him some kids who had been out in the field had found him and called 911. Um, and he talked about how he knew that God had rescued him from that experience of trying to commit him to commit suicide because he knew it was a sin and God didn't want him to commit that sin. Uh, he talked about wanting God to come into the hearts of the people who had hurt him so that they wouldn't hurt other people. Um, and we talked about, you know, if he was still here, why, why does, you know, why was he still here? What, what plans did God have for him? And, and he didn't know, uh, but he openly, you know, talked of wanting God to just take away his pain. He said he had, he had felt like he had had enough pain. And he was ready and he was done. Um, there hasn't been a day that's gone by since since that day that I haven't thought at least a little bit of Danny and. Some days it's because I pray that God has mercy on Danny, um, where I, I see somebody in so much pain and I hope that God will help him with his pain, however that is. And then there are days when I, I thank God for Danny because uh, for someone who was in so much pain and who had felt so much pain in his life to 
still be praying for those who hurt him uh, was such a stark reminder to me um, of courage and of grace um, that, uh, that I struggle with in my own life. And I thank God for giving me that time with Danny. Um, so uh, I don't know where Danny is. I haven't seen Danny since. Um, but I, but again, it's, it's a day, uh, every day, I hope that God is, is looking down on Danny, and I hope that uh, God continues to show mercy um, toward Danny. Chris um, individualized and particularized the gentleman he met on the light rail. He looked straight at him. He listened to him. He learned from him. It didn't end up with a pretty bow or happily ever after. We don't even know the outcome, really. But Chris was attentive to both the Holy Spirit and the man on the light rail. And God was there on the light rail called Beautiful. Now, God knew I needed a reminder that being attentive matters. But he had one more way he wanted to stir my soul that spring morning. And you can look at again at verses 5 and 6 for that. So God gave his, so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, and this is the next phrase that jumped off the page when I read it. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. Now, what Peter gives this man through the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name is healing. Complete, miraculous healing of a man who's been unable to walk since birth and is now 40 years old. It's an amazing story. And one that I think Kent Carlson is going to explore further with you in a couple weeks when he speaks. So um, I can't wait for that because it'll be a whole different perspective. But what I needed to focus on last week, last spring, when I read this story, was not the miracle, but the words that ushered in the miracle. But what I do have, I give you. On that ordinary morning, when I was sending out curriculum, I was caught in ministry doldrums. I was tired and feeling ineffective and discouraged. I was painfully aware of my lacks and what I didn't have to give. But when I read those words, I knew that it wasn't what I didn't have that mattered, but that God wanted to work with what I did have to give. I just needed to be available. Which brings me to my second point, as well as my second faith in action champion. I'd like to invite my daughter, Carissa Fajardo, to join me. Chris has been a part of Oak Hills for almost 20 years now. We moved to California when she was starting high school. She grew up here, met and married Cameron here, had her three beautiful babies here. And many of you know and love Carissa, as well you should, because she's very cool. <laughs> but I think that there's a big chunk of Carissa's story you may not be aware of. And God has used what's happened to her in what's happened in her life in some pretty incredible ways. So, Carissa, if you would just share a little bit about what happened when you were 11 that kind of changed the tra trajectory of your life. 
Yeah. Um, so when I was 11, we found a lump on my leg, um, and we went through a whole bunch of testing and everything and discovered that I had um, a type of sarcoma that was very locally aggressive and very fast-growing. Yeah. And so um, what's been your health journey since then? So it kind of just threw us in a whirlwind for a while. Um, I had several major surgeries that removed um, a lot of my muscles in my leg, um, left me with only one working muscle in my hamstring area and gluteal region. Um, I went through radiation and then several rounds of chemo off and on really through most of my life, actually, um, and then ended up even having chemo after my first child was born. And now I had that for about two and a half years after that. Okay. Okay, so um, I just have to say, as from a mother's perspective, but I really think from anybody's perspective, Chris had just handled all of this with this courage and faith that was unbelievable, especially considering that she was so young when it all started. But now for the last maybe eight and a half years or so, you've been treatment-free. Yes, yes. Um, But God has continued to use what you've gone through, I think, in some pretty incredible ways. So share with us a little bit about your job and um, how you're able to give out of what you've been through. So I work at Marshall Hospital in surgery. I'm in pre- and post-op. Um, and we do a lot of different types of surgeries, general surgeries, orthopedic surgeries. Um, but one of the surgeries that I find that I connect to the most is um, we do port infusion port implants out there. So I get the – one of the beautiful things I get to do is come alongside people that have a brand-new cancer diagnosis and say, I've been there, I've done that. I've cried with people. I've laughed with people. I'm there to um, share my story and my journey and let them know there's hope, there's light. It's a difficult journey, but they can do it. And just basically for that day, I get to live life with them when they're very scared and they have an unknown thing. And I can just say, hey, I've done this. You can do it. So do you always go to work, like, all excited because you get to share God with them? <laughs> it's a job. <laughs> so um, there's some days where I don't want to go to work, um, but I really do try. I'm, I go to work very early in the morning, and sometimes I get to watch the sunrise, and sometimes it's before the sunrise. Um, and I really try to take that time, and I pray that God will use me in whatever way he can that day. Um, Some days are good and some days are bad, but I definitely know God has put me in that job for a reason. All right. Thank you. You can clap for her. I told you she was pretty cool. So by being available, Carissa has allowed the Holy Spirit to work through her. As she has said again and again, what I have, I give you. Now, she's not done it perfectly and maybe not even all that willingly some days. But I know for a fact that she has helped ease suffering. She has shared hope. And God is there again and again at the hospital called Beautiful. 
Now, the beauty of this soul-stirring story in Acts 3 is that it still happens today. I'm not talking about the miraculous physical healing and why we don't see it more often, though that might be a worthwhile discussion. I'm talking about those less dramatic but no less important miracles that we're invited into every day by being attentive, looking straight at people that God brings into our lives, and by being available, saying, but what I have, I give you. You see, the same Holy Spirit that indwelled Peter and John and the early church lives in you and me and is at work in this world. And wonder of wonders, sometimes the Holy Spirit works through us when we are being attentive and being available. Jordan is going to come in a moment, and he's going to lead us in a reprise of a song that we sang earlier called Build My Life. The words are, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. And then this is a part I really want you to key in on. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. And I think I just saw someone run up because I think I went shorter than they expected. And Jordan's not here yet. (laughs) But as Jordan does lead us in just a little bit, I'm going to invite you to respond to this story. Um, However your soul may be stirring. Maybe you're going to want to sing along in response like those in the temple court after this healing, that the Bible says we're filled with wonder and amazement. Maybe you are someone that's going to need to cry out for healing. And I invite you to do that now. Or maybe like me, you just need to listen to the Spirit stirring. Perhaps there is a stirring into being attentive to those you encounter who you've learned to ignore, like the man on the light rail, or even harder still, to someone in your own home or family whose pain you've learned to tune out. Who are you being called to look straight at? Where is the gate called beautiful you're being invited into by being attentive? Or um, perhaps there's a situation or a stirring where being available is what God is inviting you into. Maybe you have no idea exactly how God can use you in it, but you know you need to respond. But what I have, I give you. If your soul is stirring, one way to respond could be by coming up either now during the song or after the service, and creating a reminder on one of these little canvases. You don't have to be an artist. No masterpiece is required. It could be just a name that came to your mind or a place that you need to jot down. Maybe it's a splash of color or a handprint. But let it be a first step 
toward being attentive, being available. Let it be a temple gate called beautiful.
you pray with me? Most amazing God, we recognize that you are ever at work and we are humbled that you would choose to work through us. May we be attentive both to the Spirit's work and to those you bring into our lives. May we be ever available to give what we have no matter how insignificant it may seem. Trusting that you long to work miracles of love every day. Thank you for always being attentive and available to us, your children. Give us courage now to go out in your power and strength. In your son's name we pray. Amen.